Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, welcome back. Good to be back. How are you doing? You ready Thanks. to uh, talk some talk some ACC football in the middle of April? Yeah, so we were here two and a half, oh, about two and a half weeks ago with Chris Brondon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went on vacation again, because that's what you do. That's right. Um and since we last spoke, I ordered a new uh, power cord for my microphone. Oh boy! So, yeah. From what so I can tell, it hasn't come in yet, or no, so no, not yet. So I, I, I still sound bad, but it'll only be for a short time now. Well, Mike, I don't know if you've heard, but COVID has messed up the supply chain. So that's uh, yes. that's probably probably the reason it hadn't come in yet. I've, I've heard that, but I wore my mask when I ordered the power cord, so I should be good. <laughs> Got to stay safe, you know, Mike. That's that's right. When you're talking on the phone, you can't you know you can't be going maskless doing that. Right, I double mask when I talk on the phone. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike, you are correct that the last episode we did was we we met with Chris Grondon. We uh, we talked about the Virginia Cavaliers, and they tell us about your team series. We we got some really good feedback on that episode there were a, we a lot of people really liked that and so that was really uh it was encouraging and we were really happy with how it turned out you know glad you guys liked it as well and so definitely intending to do more of those here as the off season rolls on um we have gotten a little bit of additional interest in you know people reaching out about their particular teams but if you're interested in contributing hit us up basketball conference podcast at gmail.com let us know you're interested in telling us about your team thank you no, it's been good. I right, Chris seemed to enjoy it too, which mm-hmm. I mean, that's just an ad bonus. Come on the pod, you enjoy it, and we've had a good product, and people like it. We have gotten a lot of good feedback, so definitely encouraging. I mean, who doesn't want to talk to us? We're pretty cool guys. Uh, Brian Smith, that guy who told us that we were void of professionalism. Appreciate sure that was Brian Smith, <laughs> podcast legend. From that's before. right. <laughs> That is right. Uh, Mike, that was the last episode. Tonight's episode, we need to catch up on uh, some listener questions. Um, And I think the best way I I know how to kind of lead into this is with a question that we got literally two months ago tonight. Uh, On February 13th, we got a question from Shane, and we're just now getting around to answering it. So, Shane, we didn't lose it. We're just... We're just... um, behind we'll say just behind uh shane says hey mike and joey loving these off-season podcasts can't wait to hear joey's uva hot take if that tells you how long ago this was uh, nothing if not timely (laughs) exactly so mike here's here's the question and i thought this was an interesting one from shane he says so georgia tech has won three games and lost nine games in each of the last three seasons technically not true they only lost seven in the COVID season but they only played 10 so you know there there you go 
says, let's play a game. One of you picks the three games they'll win. The other one picks the nine games that they'll lose. Interested to see which games you disagree on. I like this game. Yes. So, Mike, here, here's what I think that we do. Um, I think that we do this draft style. So we look oh. at, at Georgia Tech's 2022 schedule. There's 12 games. Um, you can you take your pick of do you want to pick the games that Georgia Tech is going to win or the games that Georgia Tech is going to lose. Basically, you pick three lo- somebody picks three losses. The other person picks one win. Basically, in, in increasing you know in decreasing levels of confidence in whether they're going to win or lose, if that makes sense. So, do you want to me. do you want to pick wins or losses? I got. It. Do losses. Do the losses. Okay. So what I want you to do is let's start out. Let's look at the whole schedule. Mm-hmm. Go through it really quickly, and then I want you to tell me the three games that you are the most confident that they will lose, and then I'll tell you the game from the remaining eight that I am most confident that they'll win. Is that fair? Yeah. Yep. Fair. All right. Here's the schedule: home against Clemson in in Mercedes Benz Stadium. It's a kind of neutral, kind of home game, whatever. Home against Western Carolina. Home against Ole Miss. At UCF, at Pittsburgh, home against Duke, bye week, Thursday night home against Virginia, at Florida State, at Virginia Tech, home against Miami, at North Carolina, at Georgia. Your three games that you are confident they're going to lose. Georgia, Clemson, Ole Miss. Georgia and Clemson, yeah, for sure. Um yeah, okay. Yeah, that's probably about right. Georgia, Clemson, Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss, even without Matt Corral, I feel like still has a it's a pretty sizable talent gap. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Ole Miss compared to the rest of the schedule in terms of ACC opponents, I mean, maybe you look at a team like Miami, but at the same time, Miami's got a first-year head coach still, mm-hmm. right? So still pretty confident that those are the three games they're probably most likely to lose at this point. Yeah, well, and I, I yeah, well, and I look at Lane Kiffin too. I mean, mm-hmm. he is even even if you you know you don't have Matt Corral and maybe there is a little bit of turnover. It's like he's yeah. one of the best offensive minds in the game. Like he can he can draw some stuff up. He can call some plays. Like you know, we we've talked about how much Georgia Tech has had coaching issues in recent years. Lane right. Kiffin is the, exactly the kind of guy that can be uh, can find ways to exploit that. So I, I'm with you here. Yeah. Um, the first win that I'm really confident that they're going to get. Um, I'll say Western Carolina, even though Jeff Collins, I believe, has a losing record against FCS teams uh, as a head coach. So I, you know, I can only say that with so much confidence. But you know, if there is if there is a free square somewhere on the board, it's probably Western Carolina. Even Fuente beat the FCS teams mostly. <laughs> mostly, yeah. Mostly, got into a couple of uh, you know, tight matchups with some FCS teams, but you know who's counting? The, the, the fun one was Furman. That was fourteen <laughs> to three at halftime. I was in the press box for that one, and I took a picture of the student section at Lane Stadium. And uh, unnecessary roughness. The Barstool Sports College Football Podcast retweeted me, and my tweet went viral <laughs> <laughs> because of how empty I was making fun of how empty Lane Stadium was. The student mm-hmm. section. It's going well in Blacksburg, so yeah, there's oh, that. Tech needed a uh, fourth down stop to mm. beat Furman, so that was rough. The other, uh, the other fun subplot is Western Carolina. If I'm not mistaken, is 
the alma mater of both of Georgia Tech's last two coaches. I believe that's where Jeff Collins played, and I'm almost positive. Paul Johnson actually didn't play there, but he graduated from there, if I'm not mistaken. Let's look this up real quick. Uh, Jeff Collins, yep, Western Carolina, and I believe same for Paul Johnson. And, in fact, I believe Paul Johnson going there is kind of why this is on the schedule to begin with. Uh, Yep, Western Carolina. There you go. So does Jeff Collins try to throw this game for his alma mater? Mike, at this point, there's not a whole lot of anything I would put past Jeff Collins along those lines. He would do it, you know, for the brand or for the ATL or, you know, because competition is king or, you know, I don't know, something or other. Never does he throw this game in order to receive money from the bookies to then subsequently pay out in NIL money for a better recruiting class? Anything is possible. I'm sitting here wondering how that Georgia, af- affects his uh, cash flow when he gets his buyout later in the year. But, you know, yeah, to well, say? I was going to say nothing says to help Georgia like <laughs> NIL money and stealing some recruits. Hey, Mike, piss on him. Uh, all right. Next three most likely losses. Go for it. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go Miami. Mm-hmm. These are in no particular order, by the way. I'm just grabbing three three losses. Um, I mean, in terms of like, I'll grab the three losses, but I, I'm the degree of confidence level in three losses I'm picking. It's Irrelevant to me. Um, Miami at North Carolina and at UCF would be my three. Next three. I think I probably agree with that. I think I think the interesting piece of this gets when we get to the very end is uh, mm-hmm. how do we split up the final four games? Um, yeah. So you've got them losing to Clemson, Ole Miss, UCF, Miami, North Carolina, and Georgia so far. Mm-hmm. I've got him beating Western Carolina. I think if I have to pick another win, uh, year one under Mike Elko at Duke might be a bit Mm -hmm. of a rough situation. Um, Playing that game in Atlanta, I mean, it's not losing to an FCS team, but it might as well be if if you can't win that game at home in your own building midway through the season. So uh, I'm going to say they beat Duke. I think that is a very winnable spot and it is a potentially fireable offense going into the bye week if uh, if you find yourself on the wrong end of that one. Yes, I would agree because there's a pretty decent chance looking at those first six games that if if Georgia Tech only beats Western Carolina there, just sitting at one and five, I mean, writing is certainly on the wall, right? Going into the off season anyway. So why don't you just make the change mid season? Yeah. If you, if you lose, yeah, you lose to a depleted Duke team and you're at one and five. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, I I think at that point, you know, and and with some of the things that our friend Kelly Quinn on this talked about, I think you're talking about potentially firing the AD. I think you're probably talking about firing the head coach and Mm -hmm. putting the re hitting the reset button on the entire thing. So, uh, right. Hope that's not an issue. Could be, though. Could be. <laughs> Could be. It's possible. I, I'm very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For you, I'm optimistic for you. Well, then, I mean, I would never root for people to lose their jobs, but they'll <laughs> be fine. I mean, make a lot of money if you lost that job, but you know that's fine. <laughs> he'll I he'll mean, land on his feet. They've. 
Yeah, what's that saying? They've forgotten about more money than I've ever made or something like that? I don't know. Something like that. I, but- I butchered that. Continue. Uh, wins against Western Carolina and Duke. Losses against Clemson, Ole Miss, UCF, Miami, North Carolina, and Georgia, which means, Mike, we got to figure out what are the three games that they lose and the one that they win uh, away at Pittsburgh, home against Virginia on a Thursday night, at Florida State, and at Virginia Tech. I think that the one I would pick to win, I know I'm kind of stealing your thunder here, but can I tell you the one I think they would win? You may. I'm going to go with Virginia because you're coming off a bye week. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you fire Jeff Collins there, it's a dead cat bounce game situation. Mm-hmm. And That's on the table UVA, for sure. Yeah, and I think UVA has some talent still, but they've lost – I mean, they have Brian Armstrong coming back, but everything else is kind of a question mark at this point. Yeah. Still some so, talent in that receiver room, um, but definitely a new coaching staff situation. We've talked pretty extensively the last couple episodes about how, uh, you know, how well constructed that staff is or isn't. You know, mm-hmm. your, your mileage may vary. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, home game on a, on a Thursday night, must win situation, coach, you know, new coach situation. Uh, decent amount of roster turnover. Now that's like late mm-hmm. October, so a lot of those guys have played several games by then, so that's not as big a deal. Right. But right. Um, I think I agree of those four. I mean, the other three are all on the road. Um, right. I feel like I could make a decent argument that Georgia Tech could win any or all of those other three games. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if we're picking one out of the four, I think it has to be Virginia. Like, yeah. And I think you know if the the three games on the schedule that are basically absolute must win. Probably those three, Western Carolina, Duke, and Virginia. Um, yeah. You know, but it, it's not to say that, you know, even Virginia, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily going to be a, a bad program this fall, but it's no. more just, you know, if you're in year four, yeah, year four under Jeff Collins and and just where things are and the, the way that you need to have some success, it's like that's one of your best chances to win is a, a home game like that and off a of bye week and everything. So, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's kind of the direction that we take. Um, I will say, you know, that, that's kind of the, the three and nine game is how do the 12 games break out. But we'll talk more as the offseason goes on. I mean, I, as again, the expectation is definitely higher here. Um, I think there yes. is there is reason for optimism with some of the changes on the coaching staff. Um, I think there is something to be said maybe that last year the defense was terrible partially because they saw how useless the offense was and were like, is this what we're fighting for? Um, you know, so maybe the offense looks a little more coherent. You know, you get a little something going early in the year and you're able to keep the thing together a little better down the stretch. You know, I think that's on the table, but we haven't seen it yet from a Jeff Collins, Georgia tech program. So we'll, uh, we'll have to see if next time. Yeah. Be the first I mean, time. I, right. I mean, I think Georgia Tech will probably stink, but at the same time, I don't think they'll be three and nine bad either. Mm-hmm. Though that seems that seems like worst case scenario. Yeah, or or best case scenario if you want a new coaching staff. Say, three and nine will get fired. Well, it's probably similar to the conversations we were having about Virginia Tech last year going into the season. Yeah. It was like seven and five is worst case scenario because it's like, so then do we fire him or what? Like you know, I don't know. Right. Um, but I think I think that's the discussion we need to have as we go in the offseason. This is kind of where I'll leave this discussion is what what is the expectation going into the season? You know, what is the absolute minimum threshold before you can even start to explain away everything else without 
firing the coach, you know? And so right. is it six and six with a couple of overtime losses or something like that? You know, like, right. you know, ha- exactly what is the bare minimum that can be done to, uh, to, to retain a staff? I don't know. We'll have to talk about that as the offseason goes on. I mean, that was the conversation with Fuente. It was like, well, eight win threshold would be a problem because then if he wins eight, that means that four out of his six seasons, he's had at least eight wins. One of the years was COVID and one of the years you could say, Oh, he just had an off year. Mm-hmm. They could change the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean things are going in a good direction. It just means it's a narrative changing scenario. If you win more games than you should. Mm-hmm. So it's a good question. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Mike, to further illustrate the, uh, the the length of time it's been since we last recorded. We have a second question. I'll, I'll call it a question from Shane. Uh, it starts with, are you guys alive? Where is my off-season podcast? Uh, now, the good news is that this one was sent, like, within 24 hours before we recorded our last episode. So, like, we were yes. we, we were ready to go. Just that wasn't a listener question episode was all. Um, now, he, he says, you guys never got to the question I sent before the last pod. That's true. Says, I nominate that as the Go ACC moment of the week and the month. Uh, and Or, sorry, the Go ACC moment of the week of the month. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that is our only candidate at this point. We'll have to accept that one gracefully. Yes, it's it's harder to do without games. So. <laughs> Much harder. Um, the one thing he adds down here that I think is worth talking about a little bit is I don't get the love for Mario Cristobal. Uh, he sounds just like Mark Rick 2.0 to me. I guess my expectation is some initial success that fades over time until he eventually gets let go by an administration that has demonstrated very little patience. Um, the thing to me that sticks out here, Mike, and I, I think there, that's an interesting comparison, especially when with the way that we talk about Mario Cristobal is he's going to elevate the floor, think there is a bit of a defined ceiling that they're going to hit. You know, I, I don't think he's going to, you know, get the U all the way back, so to speak. Um, I don't think you know, they're going to win a national title. I, I'd be a little surprised if they even won an ACC title, um, you know, depending on what Clemson does, you know, in the, in the near future, maybe even Florida state. Um, but we have seen Mario Cristobal's teams in position to like make the playoff and such when he was at Oregon and then like throw absolute clunkers against like really mediocre Stanford teams and Arizona state teams and, like just lose in the most random, like unexpected positions. Um, and I think there's something to be said about comparing him to Mark Rick that way, right? Like, you know, Mark Rick's teams were never objectively bad, but they would have a few head scratching performances of like what's happening here. And so I think there is definitely a comparison there. Mike, the thing that sticks out to me, I think that is different here is not, not at the head coaching position. I think it's at the administration level. Um, I, the, he's, he mentions that they've demonstrated very little patience. That's true. It seems like with some of the, the money being thrown around with this recent coaching hire, I think there, that it signals some change. I think the other thing is bringing in Dan Radakovich as AD. Like that's something yeah. that we're not going to talk a ton about, but is sneaky, a huge deal. Not only, you know, good for Miami, but I think is part of the questions I have about Clemson and Dabo moving forward is, I mean, that guy was basically the architect who you know created a lot of the fundraising and stuff that really eventually helped to push Clemson over the top. Um, that's a big deal, and he he knows what he's doing. You know, he was again he was the administrator that oversaw the entire Clemson operation. Um, you know, for the last nine ish years, 
I think that's a huge deal as well that makes maybe makes this a little different than the Mark Richt era at Miami. Agree. Um, I mean, having administrative support and somebody who's kind of going to be tied at the hip to you, so to speak. I mean, they're coming in at the same time. That's really important because you have no choice but to align. Mm-hmm. Like when you're coming in at the same time as a coach that you're hiring, I mean, you have no choice. I mean, you guys are tied at the hip. Mm-hmm. You're in together. You've been there for the same amount of time. Right. So I think that's huge. The the other thing I want to point out too is you can make a pretty good argument that, you know, Mark Rick's job was a pretty significant step down from where he was at Mm -hmm. um, considering the program that he took over versus where he was at Georgia and what the expectations were at Georgia. um, When, when Mark Rick was there taking the, taking the Miami job, um, considering where they were at, they had multiple failed head coaches, right. Um, You know, you go from, Randy Shannon, um, you know, you, <laughs> the Randy Shannon era was something. Huh? That, was, <laughs> that was kind of a disaster. Those are the days. Um, you go from that to Al Golden, right? And mm-hmm. that kind of just went up and down. Then you hire Mark Rick, you're like, all right, this can get fixed, right? And then it looked like it was getting fixed. And then things kind of flattened out because Mark Rick couldn't develop a quarterback. And it's interesting, though, because I, I feel like, too, Mario Cristobal is kind of in the spot in his career also where he chose to leave Oregon for Miami. It's not like the Mark Rick situation where Georgia, he had grown stale at Georgia, you know, Georgia lets him go. Now I'm going to Miami. And it's a pretty significant step down, even though it is his alma mater, right? He, well, Mark, like- Mark, Mark Rick, and I'm going to do a really big air quotes motion here, retired <laughs> at Georgia. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then took another job yeah. like a week later. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Retired. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. Sure. He did. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas Cristobal, you know, he left Oregon, like mm-hmm. Oregon, Oregon didn't push Cristobal out. Right. I mean, they wanted him there. Now, did they think that this could happen? Yeah, we all did. I mean, we we're all like, yeah, Cristobal could go there. But then to see it actually come to fruition is kind of something different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having Dan Radakovich, you know, coming in there is a is a pretty pause. Sorry, um, having him arrive at Miami is a pretty good selling point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and having Cristobal join him there, and you know, knowing that you're going to have support from the administration is is huge, right? It's yep. huge. Uh, just kind of seeing where this program has been. Um, and, and who you're taking over for Manny Diaz and kind of the state of the program, you've got to have the administrative support to kind of, you know, implement your program. And the one thing I want to mention too, is that like Cristobal is not that old, right? He's 51 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a full decade. Um, I think he's like 11 or 12 years younger than Mark Rick actually. Um, so he, he's a full decade younger and, you know, this is a premier coaching stop for him. It's his alma mater, just like it was Mark Rick's alma mater, but Georgia was significantly better job. Yeah, and I don't think any of us are going to argue that Oregon is not a better job right now than Miami. But the difference is that Cristobal left on his own terms. Mm-hmm. He really believes that he can win at Miami. He feels like this is a big time job for him. Um, I'm sure Mark Rick felt that way to a degree, but he also didn't really have a choice but to believe that because of his individual situation. I think that does make a difference. Like yeah. that, I think you get to the point where like Rick. When he got to Miami, I think we were all thinking, 
at the time were like, all right, if he turns it around, like this is going to be a home run. Like this, this could be a big time hire for Miami. I wrote about that years ago at inside the ACC. I wrote about that. I was like, if this is like Miami's return to prominence guy. Mm. Right. And the one thing I thought of at the time was, you know, if it doesn't go well, he can just retire and wash his hands of it. And lo and behold, that's exactly what he did. Now, we were surprised at the timing and how that kind of went down and he didn't want to fire his son. And, you know, there were details that we didn't really see coming. But him retiring when things were starting to head south was not a huge surprise, Mm -hmm. just considering where he was at in his career. Mm -hmm. You don't really have to worry about that with Chris Paul, right? He's 51. Mm-hmm. barring health issues or something like he's not just going to retire from Miami when things start heading south. Yeah. Right? He's either going to get fired or, you know, that's going to be it or he's going to succeed. I think those are the two options for him. So I think there, there are some similarities for sure. I mean, both guys are going back to their alma mater, but I think it's very different considering where they are in their career, the administrative alignment, um, the, the situations that led them to the position yeah, there's a lot of delineating factors here that are a little bit different. Yeah. Well, and, and something else that's worth keeping in mind, too, is that if you if you go look at Mario Cristobal's LinkedIn profile, um, there's a line down there that, that kind of indicates that he used to work for a guy named Saban. Um, that, that that's good. Seems to, yeah, seems to make one a, uh, a hot commodity in the industry these days, um, which is to say that, you know, if things don't go well at Miami or if he's, you know, if he's looking to cut and run, um, there will be other suitors, you know, it's like, you know, failure here does not mean that you're a bad coach necessarily. Um, it, it, it's happened to other coaches. Um, you know, and there was, there was some personal stuff, I think too, with, with Cristobal coming back to Miami. I mean, that's where all his family is, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. There was those kinds of things, but I think there's there's just something to me, Mike, that feels a little different this time. And I'm pretty sure I said almost this exact same thing when they hired Mark Richt, but hear me out is seeing a guy like Cristobal who was set up even with Lincoln Riley taking the USC job and what that could in theory become, at worst, I think that makes Oregon the second best program in the Pac-12, and in, in a lot of years, you've got a good chance to win double-digit games, go play in the Rose Bowl, maybe make a playoff, like the whole thing. Um, I think there was a lot made of you know the family thing, but I think it does say something like you're correct. That's a really good job, and he chose to leave it to go to Miami. And the guy who's been running the whole Clemson program for nine years chose to leave that and go to Miami. Right. There's something different there. Right. And, and it seems like it would be to Miami's benefit, you know, whatever is different there, because they're, they're bringing in types of, you know, people with credentials and names and such that seem like in previous years they would have kind of uh, shied away from it a little bit maybe uh, and said, you know what, I don't think I need to get in the middle of all this. So Yeah. Here's the thing, too. Like, Cristobal is a top six or seven coach in the sport right now. Mm-hmm. And – you couldn't say that about Mark Richt when he left for Miami. You couldn't say that about him. Then. Not at that you could point. Say it no. a couple, not at that point. A few years before, sure. They make mm-hmm. an SEC championship, almost make a natty, the pre-playoff era. It was, that 20, was a little bit different. It was 2012. Uh, yeah, it was 2012 that they, you know, came like caught the ball inadvertently on the four-yard line 
and the yeah. clock expired against Alabama in the SEC title yep. game before they could go beat that like Notre Dame team in the and like they would have won a national title that year. They were that right. close, and then three years later, it's like Mark Ricks lost his edge. Get him out of here! Like right, right. Um, but again, like we're not talking early 2010s. We're talking mid 2010s, right? Mm-hmm. When when Rick takes over at Miami, and I don't think you. I mean, his stock fell off a lot those three years after you know coming that close to to getting to a natty. Mm-hmm. So things change, you know. Georgia did not make a playoff, you know, and, and I understand that the playoff didn't start until 2014, right? 13 or 14? 14, I think. 14, yep. Um, and that was the first year, and I, I get that Rick was only there um, a couple of years after that, but the, Georgia never made a playoff under Mark Rick. Um, and they were really not all that close to getting to a national championship except in 2012. I think one other time they were pretty close, like late 2000s, but I mean, Mark Rick, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He's a very good coach, and he was considered to be one of the top coaches in the sport earlier in his tenure with Georgia. But by the time he left for Miami, that was not the case anymore. Like, his stock had fallen off pretty significantly. With Cristobal, I don't think anybody's looking at Mario Cristobal right now and saying, oh, his stock's falling off, and that's why he left Oregon for Miami. Yeah, like nobody nobody thinks that. This is some recovery project or or rehab spent for him. Like, no, yeah. Yeah, some sort of reclamation. Yeah. Top six or seven feels a little high for me, but like top 10, top 12. Yeah, probably almost certainly like, yeah, I, I, I don't really, yeah, I don't really care in terms of like rankings. I guess my point is like, I would consider Cristobal's stock right now to be higher than what Mark Ricks was when he left Georgia. Yep. Absolutely. That's basically what I'm getting at. We can, we can dive into rankings of coaches and stuff like that and talk about that all night. I just, that's my, that's my whole point. Cristobal stock's higher when he's leaving to go to Miami. Well, we're only 30 minutes into the show, Mike. If you wanted to spend another hour and a half Hell yeah. ranking all 131 coaches or whatever, I mean. Mark Rogers did that recently. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Go check him out on YouTube. He's got... Yeah, for sure. You get, you get, uh, you get you know, a little restless waiting for us to record another episode. You want your college football <laughs> content. Go find uh, Mark Rogers. That's where we met. That guy is a content factory. He that is. guy can record. I mean, he's, he's a machine. He is. Can't thank him enough. I mean, he gave you and I our start, basically. Like, <laughs> well, uh, this podcast wouldn't exist without Mark Rogers. So that is true. Shout out to Mark. Yeah, Mike. Let's move on. Uh, we got a couple more questions here before we do. We got to remind the people about Section One Hundred Three com, the internet's best place to buy Georgia Tech apparel. Uh, they've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, all all types of great things there. They've got uh, things in the official Tech Gold. They've got uh, the ATL logo. They've got all sorts of great things. You know, th- there's a lot of these things that it feels like should be really easy to find in terms of Georgia Tech apparel that isn't, or at least it wasn't until Section103.com came about. Um, Mike, it is baseball season. Um, they've actually got a really great baseball tee out. Do you, you have any baseball tees yourself? You know, like the like the three quarter length sleeve situation, like that that kind of thing. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. I do not have any myself yet, um, but they have one that came out that's got that script jackets across the chest, um, similar to the one that the uh, Georgia Tech baseball team uses. It's it's real good looking. I I am looking at getting myself one of those, Mike. I, I don't I don't have one from Section One Hundred Three, but I do own one. 
Okay. Well, there you go. That, yeah, that was, yes. that, that was the main question. Um, yes. Yeah. Don't own one from our sponsor. If you like baseball tees and you're looking to get one to support Georgia Tech, Section 103 has a great one uh, that matches Georgia Tech's baseball team. Uh, they've got that in a, a V-neck for the ladies um, or for the dudes. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's up to you what you, what you want to wear. Um, Mike, all that stuff, it's all great. It's all at Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Um, I've got several Section 103 shirts. I love them all. You've got one. You love it. Um, I have one of the same one. It's that Bobby Dodd Stadium is my happy place shirt. It is so soft. It looks great. Um, I've got no shortage of great things to say about the uh, the apparel that comes from Section103.com. You should go get some for yourself. You should use promo code GOACC to get 10% off your first order, and we really appreciate the partnership coming from Steven and Section103.com. So thank, thank them. Uh, y'all go support them. Percent. Do that. Uh, Mike, we got an email uh, a couple of days ago at following up the Virginia Tell Us About Your Team episode from Carter Claiborne. Um, had someone, he, he had a question about Clemson. Um, also reached out about helping out with another team. So we'll, uh, we might be, might be following up with Carter here in the next you know, few weeks or, or a month or so. We'll see how that goes. Um, Carter says, Howdy, Mike and Joey. I have a question for you about Clemson that may be fun. Uh, we'll be the judges of that, Carter. Uh, I know Dabo. <laughs> I know. I know Dabo has been praising his whole internal hire deal. Uh, don't, don't toot your own horn there. <laughs> I know Dabo has been praising his whole internal hire de- deal. Internal hire deal. Uh, I'm sure that's part of it. But do you also think that part of the reason that they can't get bigger names for their coaching staff? Is, I'm, I'm adding the for the coaching staff piece in here. Do you also think that part of the reason they can't get bigger names for the coaching staff is because of their refusal to use the transfer portal? As in, they can't convince many prominent or respected coaches to abandon the portal and their connections to it, either because they want to use it in the future or because they don't think you can succeed without it in college football nowadays. Interesting I, interesting approach and like take here. I, it, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Mike, what's your, what's your take here? First of all, great question. Mm-hmm. Um, had not thought of it that way. My simple answer would be no. And the only reason why is because I think the portal is too new. Hmm. Um, do I think it could be a hindrance down the line? Yes. Do I think it could even be a hindrance now? Sure. Um my gut says it's probably not the main issue in terms of getting other coaches in there. Um, so the, the, I guess the natural follow-up is, okay, well, then what's the, what's the issue then, right? I don't know if it's an issue for Dabo to go out and get coaches from other programs um, to, to bring into Clemson. I think Dabo might be in a situation now where he believes so much in what he's built that he believes that he's constantly bringing in the right people at the bottom to work their way up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's more of a, I can't get these guys on the outside. If I tried, it's more of a, I'm hiring these people as grad assistants. I'm hiring them as lower level assistants. And then they're working their way up to that experience. And then all of a sudden, when the time comes, they're going to be ready because they've been in our program 
mm-hmm. taken in our system mm-hmm. for X amount of time. And this has worked for me my entire coaching career at Clemson. So it's going to continue to work. Now, whether or not that's the right approach, I mean, we can have discussion about that. But that's what I think it is with Dabo and Clemson. Now, as far as their approach to the transfer portal, I mean, if they don't change that soon, it's going to bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's already doing that. I, well, like, no, I agree. I would agree. I would agree. Um, I don't know if you'll see the results on the field as soon as this year in terms of them like falling off, falling off. I don't think their use or lack of use the transfer portal was the reason why they struggled last year. I think DJU just wasn't very good. And I just don't think the, the receiving core a was healthy enough all year and you know, B they just lost a ton of playmakers from like a ton of like three and four year starters mm-hmm. from um, a, a playoff team with, with Trevor Lawrence, multiple playoff teams actually with Trevor Lawrence from mm-hmm. a few years prior. So I think in some ways you can look at it as a gap here, but you know, if they struggle this year with DJU again, or Kate Klubnick, you know, a five-star freshman, a quarterback, then I think we're going to start to have some questions. Now, I don't think the portal, I don't think the portal is going to hurt Clemson yet. I think it's going to start to hurt them now if they don't start um, A, using it, but B, like at least being more open to it. I mean, Dabo just outright refusing to not bring in transfer guys is crazy. I mean, it's literally crazy. I get wanting to build a culture and stuff like that, but you're at a point now where everything's doing it and you either adapt or die. We brought this up on other podcasts. Like, do you think Saban wants to spread it out and throw it 45 times a game? No, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to run the ball and he wants to win 13 to six like Kirby Smart does. Mm-hmm. But he knows that his way is more conducive to winning more consistently in college football. Mm-hmm. He knows Kirby's way is good for one national championship every five or 10 years, which would be great for Kirby. Georgia's going to win a bunch. Sorry, Joey. Like, they're, they're going to stick around, be annoying, and be really good. But as far as them, like, being national championship good and being a threat to win every single year. Like we can say, yeah, Georgia's got enough talent to win every year, but are they actually going to do it when push comes to shove and they have to play Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. And they got to play Ohio State. And they got to play a school like, I don't know, like Florida when they're on, you know, when mm-hmm. if they get that thing back going with Napier, you know, name your school, USC with Lincoln Riley. Like, are they going to be able to keep up when teams are going to score like 70 points a game? Yeah. And it's going to depend on the year. Mm-hmm. It's going to depend on the offense the face. So either adapt or die. Um, if you don't adapt, you better be recruiting at an elite level. And Clemson's been recruiting at an elite level for a long time. And now, like, this last recruiting class, it wasn't necessarily elite. It was still really, really good. Top 15 class, but it wasn't, like, a top five class. So if you stop recruiting at a top five level, what do you have to fall back on? Like you better have some guys in the portal. You better, if, if you want to win a national championship, you better have, you know, guys you're supplementing your program with when you don't have top five recruiting classes all the time. So very long answer, but to answer the initial question, no, I don't think um, it's a reason. The portal is a reason why they can't get bigger names for the coaching staff. I just think it's more of like a Dabo, like approach thing for better or worse. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, the way that I approach this, Mike, is let, let's do a little hypothetical, you know, thought experiment here. Um, after next season, let's say that 
Virginia Tech's wide receivers coach. I don't know who that is. I don't know what his name is. I don't know where he came from. Fontel Mines, that UVA guy. grad. Let's <laughs> let's just say let's say that that guy takes the wide receivers coach job at Clemson. Mm-hmm. Would you say I got that, a good I got a good comparison for you? Sure. Holman Wickens was on Fuente's staff. He took a receiver job at Bama. Sure. So, so let me ask you, like in the context of Clemson, making that move is that a step up, a step down, or a lateral move to you? Same coaching position, but at you know from Virginia Tech to Clemson, is that a step up, step down, lateral move? Step up for the receivers coach. Sure. And for Clemson, it's probably a step down compared to what they're <laughs> used to have in there. Well, I, I mean, it's a thought experiment. It's not a but not a report. It what it is. I mean, <laughs> it's not a report. Call it what it is. Uh, yeah. But but here's my point: is like how many schools in the country could you go look at and say if if one of their coaches left to go to Clemson for the same title, it would, it would just be a lateral move or would even be a step down. Not many, like maybe a dozen or something like, yeah, I mean, it's the same, it's the same five or 10 teams or or a dozen, right? It's the same schools we talk about all the time. Yeah. So, so that's the thought, you know, is that like for coaches trying to progress their careers and such going from wherever they are to Clemson, in almost every case would be a step up, even with the same right. job title. Right. And so my thought here is that in theory, Clemson shouldn't have problems hiring much of anybody. Right. So the fact that they keep, you know, it, it, that it's all internal promotions to me, Mike, I don't think that this is a causation thing. I don't think the, the not using the transfer portal causes this inability, quote unquote, to bring in external coaches. I think it's a correlation thing. I think they're both <laughs> symptoms of the same, you know, underlying cause. That's uh, what I'm getting at. I feel like it would be a terrible word to call it a disease. I don't think it's a disease, but like it's, you know, they're symptoms of the same root cause. Um, that being that Dabo has this approach. His way. Yeah, his way, his approach to this whole thing that is so different and so unique from all the other programs in the country. And, it's it's odd to me, and we've t- I mean we've talked about it. It's it's the transfer yeah. portal thing. It's the the internal promotions thing. It's you know it's all of it. And on some level, you know you you can only criticize him so much. I mean, how many coaches have left his staff in the last three years to go be head coaches elsewhere? I mean, you've got Jeff Scott at UCF, USF. You've got Tony Elliott now at Virginia. You've got Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Um, before that, the, the offensive coordinator. Chad Morris. You had Chad Morris who left Morris. previously to go to Arkansas as the head coach. I mean, and that's that's high praise stuff. You know, that's validating stuff. But yeah, Kevin Steele who he fired, who <laughs> caused an uproar at Auburn over whether or not he should be their head coach. You know, like caused a mutiny. Yeah. There, so there's all sorts of stuff there that like there, there's a desirability of coaches coming off that staff, but it's. So yeah. then, why would you know? Why would nobody come in? It's like I, I don't think he wants to bring anybody in. Uh, and Dabo has put Dabo has put himself in the Saban Nick Saban neighborhood of mm-hmm. getting his coaches jobs elsewhere, and yeah. Saban does it like in a stratospheric level. So I don't want to say that like Dabo's turning into Nick Saban in that regard, because I mean Saban's gotten to the point where like he can have twelve assistants on staff, and all of them are going to be head coaches at some point. Mm-hmm. But like 
Dabo is probably the next closest thing to it. I mean, name another coach in college football right now who has this many former assistants in head coaching roles. You probably can't. I mean, the answer is Clemson. I think. Yeah. If you give me a couple hours to go research it, I could I could probably find someone who's comparable. I know there are a couple of pretty illustrious coaching trees out there. Um, Oops. But, I mean, Dabo's right up there for a guy who's only been a head coach for like a decade now. Like, you know, so. Yeah. There's something to be said for that. Um, yeah, as far as current head coaches are concerned, I mean, I mean, you can look at former head coaches that have pretty impressive coaching trees. But as far as like current active head coaches, it's up. Davos has got to be up there. Yeah, yep. it's got to be up there at this point. It's it's just interesting to watch, Mike, because it is such a blatantly different approach than any other program anywhere near the level of Clemson over the last decade is taking and yeah. Will it matter? I, I think it will. I think it will too. At some point it's got to catch up to you, right? Like there's a reason that nobody else does it this way. Right? Like I think that's arguably maybe saving the greatest trick is the fact that he can turn over over half his coaching staff every year. And it's it's the same thing every year. Like they, they can keep it rolling. Like that's, that's the amazing thing. Right. Here's the thing, though, like, there are so many, like, players who will transfer out of the program into another one. And, I mean, you see examples all the time. We're like, okay, that guy made an impact. But then there are so many others who just don't. Um, JT Daniels today committed to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. He's been a total waste of talent. Mm -hmm. Like, what has he done? And that's just one example, right? So I'm cherry-picking a little bit. But, like, you know. And and there's always some who transfer in, you know, Khalil Herbert from Kansas to Virginia Tech, and he's, you know, instantly one of the, you know, sets a bunch of single-season records. But I just feel like there are so many people in the transfer portal now, right? And you got to bring in guys who are the who are the right fit. They're going to mesh, like, not only with the locker room, but they're going to mesh with, you know, your scheme and the coaches and – yep. I, I get why Dabo's cautious, but I think it's bold to have this random stance. It's random, right? Have this random stance being like, no, not taking any transfers. Because I mean, if, if you do hit that one guy who comes in, like Jameer Gibbs, right? He's probably going to be pretty good for Bama. If you hit on that one guy, it's like, I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound, Joey, but he's a pretty high impact. I mean, he's a high impact guy who I think is going to it's going to be a pretty one-to-one match where he was good at George Tech and pretty good at Bama. Dude, every time I have heard his name for two months, seen stuff on Twitter, whatever, I am Squidward in the Squidward meme <laughs> where he's watching SpongeBob and Patrick run around outside, and you're just like, uh, uh. dancing outside. You get my point, though, right? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, like, you you just got to hit on one. Yep, and it, it'll change your it'll change your mindset. I mean, how? Dabo would have loved to have had a transfer portal quarterback last year when TJ was struggling. I'm well, he would have benefited from having one. I don't know if he would have loved mm-hmm. having one because you know <laughs> that's that's a certain word, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, it, it it only benefits your program, dude. Again, like you said, Nick Saban bringing in you know Jameer Gibbs, bringing in Jermaine Burton off of Georgia, <laughs> like yeah, off a team that just beat you in the natty. Yeah, like. 
you can get some really good players in the portal. You know, you can upgrade your roster. Jordan Tech has done a lot of that under Jeff Collins, brought in guys from the Atlanta area who went into Notre Dame and Michigan and Texas and Auburn and, you know, wherever else. And then, you know, maybe they're not quite good enough to be a star there. They can still be a really good football player and, you know, be a starter or at least, you know, a, a significant role player on an ACC level roster, you know. And there are so many programs too that are like, we want to build a culture that's so good that guys don't want to leave, Mm -hmm. which is, that's, that's great. It's a great, great quote to say in the media, like honorable, bold, whatever. Yeah. That's nice. You want to have a good culture, Mm -hmm. but like if guys aren't playing and they think they should, they're going to leave. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. Like we can, we can talk about NIL money and all this other stuff, but like bottom line, if guys aren't playing, their NIL is not worth anything anyway. They got to play. Yeah. You know, I mean, these quarterbacks are getting like Quinn Ewers, right? He committed to Ohio State and then got, you know, the bag, right? Like got this huge, huge NIL deal. Didn't play a snap at Ohio State and then he left. It's like the NIL money is only worth so much if you're not taking any snaps, right? There's a reason he's in Texas now. Mm-hmm. So that's my point. Like, if you're not playing, you're going to leave mm-hmm. if you're that good. And the reason why I bring up that comp is because Clemson has guys who are that good mm-hmm. on the roster. Yeah. If they don't play, they're going to leave. So John did that. Hunter Johnson did that. And then did it four again. Four five-star quarterbacks. And <laughs> turns out yeah. Hunter Johnson can't actually play. That's fine. That's not, not the point. <laughs> right. High-level recruit, though. Five-star recruit, I believe. <laughs> right. Right. Pretty average quarterback <laughs> in Northwestern, but you know, average is aren't we all? <laughs> aren't we all? Average for Northwestern quarterbacks, yeah, absolutely. Like you and I both are right now. Like, I, I mean, we, <laughs> you and I can throw the ball as well as the average Northwestern quarterback. That's it, pretty much right. It's pretty much. You right. take a snap, turn around, and hand it off. <laughs> Like, if you have 45 yards of offense one game, you're doing pretty well. Can you throw the ball eight yards past the line of scrimmage? We'll take it. Mm-hmm. You're in. Maybe. Put, if not, can you hand it off? Put me in, hey, Coach. <laughs> yeah. Are you a good teammate? Yeah. Jim Rat. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, Carter is a great First one in, last one out. <laughs> exactly. Um. Carter, that was that was a, a great question. I will deem that that yes, that was a fun question. Um, that thank, was that was fun. Yes, thank you for writing in and keep an eye on your email because uh, we might we might need your support here in a couple of months as uh, as the off season rolls on. So we'll uh, we'll reach back out. That may be fun. We'll be the judge of that. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. Um, yeah, I had and fun. We're, we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna reveal the the school that Carter offered. Uh, help from uh, or, or to uh, discuss, uh, but I will say that that could potentially be a very fun episode. So um, it'd be. I think you mentioned it earlier. I I thought I tried not to, but anyways, we'll uh, you know we might reach out to him. We had we had another volunteer as well there, so we might uh, I don't know might talk to two people. Who knows? Get let's weird. Just let's get weird. Feel, let's uh, feeling dangerous. Like, I don't know. Let's do a live at a bar. <laughs> Why not? Why not? That's. That'd be something. Mike, last question. We're trying to get this done in under an hour. We are eight minutes away from that. Uh, okay. Last Wait. one. Lee, nobody. Uh, hey, guys. Oh, with God. <laughs> Sorry. 
I, not not because it's Lee Nobody, just because I'm looking at this question <laughs> and I look at the clock and there's no way we're answering this question in eight minutes. Yeah, this Go. is this is this should have been like this the first good. question we answered. <laughs> Another really good question. Um Lee Nobody, our guy, always asking questions. Thank you for writing in again, Lee. Um, hey guys, with all the talk of NIL collectives and buying recruits, how long until a school realizes that paying coaches multi-million dollar contracts and building palatial facilities doesn't hold a candle to cold hard cash. Do you think that an ACC hot seat candidate school in 2022 might make a move on this front? Syracuse, Louisville, or Georgia Tech could hire on the cheap with the assurance that they can outbid the competition for talent. Even if the NCAA tried to clamp down, they could sue and likely win in the courts that they were recognizing players as employees. What do any of these teams really have to lose? Five million a year is at least halfway to a top ten class, if current estimates are to be believed. What are your thoughts? Best wishes, Lee. Nobody. Um, Jackson State's trying this. Uh, sure. Yeah, they could. <laughs> they could give people any reason they want to come to New Mexico State. Um, so, um, couple things. So keep in mind. So you said you know Syracuse, Louisville, or Georgia Tech could hire on the cheap with the assurance that they can outbid the competition for talent. So keep in mind, like with NIL and some of the rules as they are, basically schools are not allowed to explicitly use NIL money as an enticement to come to school. But nobody would act. Nobody would do that. That would be wrong. Um, clearly be cheating. You know, just hypothetical deals can, you know, be talked about. Or, you know, but the point is that like Georgia tech can't do anything other than maybe say like, Hey, like quarterback, Jeff Sims got this Louisville could say, Hey, Malik Cunningham got that. Just throwing that out there that that's a thing that happened, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But you know, certainly the, the, you know, the school of at Georgia tech at Louisville at Syracuse, like they can't offer NIL money now. Right. Also keep in mind, I guess at the same time, where does the NIL money come from? Probably from a decent number of the same people who are largely financing the coaching, hiring and firings. So yes. there probably could be something kind of backdoor worked out there. Cause again, they're also not supposed to like, you know, be interacting at that level either. The school can't be working with the collective. There's a lot of like red tape around this stuff is the point. Um, so just, you know, it's not as simple as saying like Louisville offered this Syracuse offered that. Like it's, I mean, just think of it in, like to think of it more simply, like the college basketball scheme with recruiting where like Kansas and LSU and those schools were working with Adidas to try to lure recruits in. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we're talking about. Like school can't be working with like, an outside body to bring recruits like they can't be having discussions at that level. It's a slightly more above the table version of that. (laughs) Correct. Correct. Um, I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm saying it's not supposed to be happening. Right. Right. (laughs) So it's, it's an interesting thought here. Um, Basically the idea that maybe that money could be spent a little differently. And, and one of the things, you know, I think that has, has come up that I I've kind of come to realize in the last few years that it wasn't really that apparent to me before is Oftentimes, you know, as we've gone through this quote unquote arms race in college football over the last 15 years, you know, and you start seeing these ridiculous facilities coming out and they've got barbershops and slides and waterfalls and uh, like the lazy river, I think that UCF has built and like, you know, all, all sorts of nonsense like that. And you're like, who has money for this? You know, where's that all come from? And, and in a lot of cases, it's folks looking to dump some money that, you know, is tax deductible. 
So they're trying to put their income in a place where they now don't have to be taxed on it. Um, so that's it's, it's expendable income. And by the way, these also are programs that are uh, nonprofits. So when right. they get these donations and such, they have to spend it on something. Otherwise, they're no longer a nonprofit. You know, so there's all these like tax finance, governmental bureaucratic nonsense again going on with with all this stuff in the background. But but again, the point being that maybe less of this money is coming into these quote unquote palatial facilities in the future and more of it is going directly to the players um, as a as a, not an enticement because nobody would do that. But, um, you know, as a uh, an after the fact uh, incentive to stay, maybe <laughs> something. Like I mean, that. I mean, at the end of the day, these kids are trying to get to the league. Right. I mean, because what we're talking about here is we're talking about the best of the best recruits. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's that's the conversation we're having. And context of this question like these players are going to go where a they're receiving the most nil money but b where they have the best chance of taking that nil money and having that only be the start of the monumental wealth they're going to receive by being a professional football player Mm -hmm. so they want to go long and short is they want to go somewhere where they believe they're going to be able to get a chance in the nfl Right. Bottom line. Right. So, and that comes down to stuff that goes beyond money. It comes down to playing time. It comes down to coaching. It comes down to facilities. Like, are you getting the best, you know, um, performance experience that that's out there? Right. Mm-hmm. That's where the facilities come in. I mean, I, I made the joke about Jackson State off the top of Dion. Right. They're pulling in a few recruit. You know, they pull in like. Travis Hunter and you know everybody freaks out about because he's the best recruit in the country. Like I don't think that's actually sustainable. Like I don't think I don't think HBCUs and FCS schools are all of a sudden going to be pulling in like five star recruits I, like consistently. I don't right. think it's going to happen. I think no. a couple maybe like every few years. I think it's possible. I don't think you're going to see a scenario where all of a sudden Jackson State's up there recruiting like Bama and Georgia because NIL. I, I just don't think that mm-hmm. we're ever really going to get to that point. What I will say though is like, I do think NIL is like pretty significant in terms of recruiting. Like, I think it's going to be a pretty big market mover. Mm-hmm. I also think there's got to be a way to regulate it so that, yeah. and I got to be careful with how I phrase this because people are going to be like, oh, you don't want the players to be paid. That's not what I'm, not, first of all, not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But there has to be a way to regulate it so that you don't have the richest schools in college football now being able to. I, I get that schools don't give out NIL deals, but the richest boosters, let me rephrase it, the richest boosters in college football at the biggest schools are now able to pull in recruits at a way that makes the playing field even more unequal than it already is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah, I mean, we're already at a point where it's the same four or five teams every year competing for a national title, mm-hmm. and it's only going to get worse. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. It's only going to get worse with the current state of NIL. So there's got to be some sort of fix in there. I don't know what it is. People way smarter than me can figure that out. But there's got to be a way to have some have some bumpers in place. You like bowling, Joey? You went bowling yesterday, right, for work? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Almost broke yeah, 100 one of the rounds. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> got to get the kitty bump, bumpers out, right, to like make sure you don't go way off track. Um, 
probably got to get me some bumpers. So I'll go way off track on tangents on this podcast. Look, don't, but, don't kink shame, Mike. Don't kink shame. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's my point. There's got to be some sort of bumpers in place. But at the end of the day, these recruits, like NIL is just going to be one part of the equation. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I do think there is something to be said uh, of, like, what is the monetary gain of being the 15th, 17th, or 20th best recruit in Bama or Georgia or Clemson or Ohio State's recruiting class mm -hmm. versus being the first or second best recruit in Louisville's recruiting class or, right. you know, take your pick of all these schools, right? right. Um, and, and the other thing I think that, and maybe kind of what Lee is getting at here in particular is... Let's say that you're you're the athletic director at Virginia Tech and you know that you have donations coming in to support specifically the football team of uh, let's call it like mm, call it 10 million dollars a year. Okay. So you know that at that point you can kind of um, you you got to arrange how that's getting used, right? And you're spending mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, call it 5 million of those 10 million dollars on your coaching staff maybe $2 million on operations and such. And then the other 3 million could go to NIL in, you know, in, in theory, right? Um, it's, it's, we could tell the boosters, Hey, like take that $3 million and go put it into NIL. <laughs> Instead of giving it to me, how about you? You know, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, don't give it to me, but kind of give it to me. Like, with that box, like, you know, there are better uses of your $3 million, don't you think? Have you met the collective? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Have, so you met the, have you met the Saudi golf league? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Lefty. Um, so, Jesus. so there's that. But then, again, the thought here, Mike, is that what if we could, instead of paying the coaching staff $5 million a year, what if we could pay the coaching staff $3 million a year and tell them that instead of $3 million going to the NIL, you're going to get $5 million to NIL or so something to that effect, right? Like we're right. – you're not able to like specifically reorganize your boosters, but you can kind of do that in a way that's going to enhance the level of recruits that you're going to be able to get. And coming from an industrial engineering background, is there an optimization program that I can run on like how much money I should spend on my coaching staff versus how much I should redirect to my NIL collective? Like, I think there's a discussion to be had there. Maybe that's, it's an interesting thought. Um, and, and I would be honestly kind of surprised if we haven't heard something along those lines in the next five, six years of an AD kind of redirecting some of that financial support. Um, not in a specific way that's going to get you in trouble, but just specific enough to that he knows it's going to benefit, you know, the, uh, the program in general anyways. So I'm willing to, willing to bet any amount of money you have, Joey, that that's already happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a thought and it's, um, I mean, if, 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 if the whole thing is like, you know, do you want to be a head coach here for $4 million or a head coach there for $2 million with, you know, a, an additional NIL support, like, well, I don't know. Was that extra two million dollars worth to you personally as a head coach versus you know the success you might have in your role? I don't know. It's 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 all. There's a lot of stuff going on there. I think that you can kind of consider and, and players players value different things. They do. I mean, that's and, part and, of it too. And and you know that's it's one of the things that Ari Wasserman I think has talked about a little bit uh, between a couple of podcasts that he's on. He's with, he's with the Athletic. He does you know some recruiting writing and um, he he's talked about a little bit how if if you're a high school recruit 
and you are purely treating this as like, I will go to the highest bidder. You know, if, if Alabama offers me $6 million over four years or whatever, and New Mexico state offers me $6.1 million over four years. And you just say, okay, yeah, I'll go to New Mexico state. It's like, you're an idiot. Like, um, you know, you, there's, right. there's not a chance that long-term over the next 20 years that doing that is the best thing for you. Like, right. There's no way. Congratulations on your 6.1. That's all you'll be making. That's yeah. Um, it's the end of your, income. meanwhile, right. Meanwhile, at Bama, the 6 million, you're just scratching the surface. Right. So that, that's the thing to think about is that there, there is more to it. And you're correct, Mike, than just the money that's being offered with NIL. There's that along with all the other things that come along with it. Um, but I, I think there's also something to be said for some of these programs. It is a little bit like splitting hairs. Like, yeah, like, you know, the top five, seven, eight programs, whatever in college football have better facilities, better coaches, strength staff, nutrition, yada, 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 yada. But like, do the top forty programs like they're still sending a couple guys to the draft every year? And like, you know, it's it's not like nobody will ever draft anybody from anyone other than the top ten programs. Like, right. So you could, if you're talented, you work hard, you're still getting decent coaching. You've got you know good facilities. You're maybe you're closer to home. You're making good NIL money. I think there's reason to think that some of these guys will you know disperse a little bit, depending on how the math and numbers work out. Um, you know, a little bit more than maybe they are currently, but that's me begging and pleading for the sport to get a little bit, a little bit more diversified than what we've gotten over the last like six years, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's college football's got some issues. <laughs> I mean, that's a great sport. Yeah. Well, you know, and a lot of people will tell you that it's always had those same issues, and it probably has, but they do seem kind of exaggerated right now. Yeah, you know why they seem exaggerated now? Because there's more money in it than ever before. That's mm-hmm. the bottom line. Like, I don't like we try to make things simple on this podcast. Like, yeah, the mo- the money in college football is a big part of it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the money in NIL is not everything. So it's very nuanced. You know, it's nuanced. It's really, I don't want to completely dismiss Lee's question because it's really like the NIL money is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good. It's totally changing recruiting. It's a whole new and, dimension to all the, like the whole thing, really. Right. And and you know what, too? Like you and I basically, you and I are basically like disagreeing with this premise, but at the same time, like it's too new also. Like who's to say we're, we're correct? I mean, it's, NIL is pretty new. So could, could things trend in that direction? In the direction that Lee's saying, where it's like, all right, people are just going to be like, yeah, we'll just get our boosters together, pool more money, put less into the facilities, and like just try to pay these kids out and see if that works. Yeah, it's going to be a strategy. Yep. Like that could absolutely that could absolutely play out. Yep. Very much can. I mean, and again, this is all we're not even hypothetical. We're, well, a, a, yes. And B, we're not even like a year into this, right? Like it was like July 1st right. of last year that this all started, you know? So it's, right. we're still in, in infancy of how this whole thing is going to develop. I'm personally of the opinion, honestly, some of these numbers and deals and stuff that we've seen come out, like, is this really like sustainable? 
you know, the part of the idea of NIL is like you're you're getting advertising value out, right? It's like, are you really getting eight million dollars of value out of this? Uh, what like Noah Iamalieva or whatever the kid is out of California that just got allegedly got an eight million dollar deal for Tennessee? Like, is that actually eight million dollars of value you're getting? Like, are people going to keep giving those deals? Is that worth the money? I don't know. Um, it's it's a fair question because not all those recruits hit. No, like, not even close. How right? much how much I, money did Ohio State give Quinn Ewers to just turn around and say. go back to Austin? Like right. So, and we're a hundred percent sure he's going to pan out of Texas, right? Hundred percent sure. Can't miss. Can't possibly fail a second time. Right, because Hunter Johnson didn't miss. <laughs> DJU hasn't missed. Like these top recruits sometimes get to college and they're not very good. I'm not. I'm not trying to throw shade at Quinn Ewers. We haven't seen him play a snap yet. I'm just yeah. saying, like, this is. You can have all the tools and then step between the lines at the next level and not be very good. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen it from high school to college. We've seen it from college to pro all the time. That's why it's impossible to hit on a quarterback in the NFL draft. You just get lucky. I'm convinced you just get lucky. Um, yep. But we see it all the time. So I think your point holds a lot of water. It's like, are we sure we want to continue to give these kids eight to 10 million? And the answer is going to be yes until it's not right. Like that is the going rate until it's not until we're not going to pay those anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same question you've had with buyouts from coaches. We're we going to keep doing this. And the answer is yes until it's not <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and I do think there's going to be a breaking point. I haven't thought about that with NIL, and I think it's a really good point. Yep. Again, it's um, it, it's something that it, it's it's in its infancy, and um, you know, for a sport that's been in existence for over a hundred years now, like this has been around for less than a year. There is a lot of development yet to happen. So, you know, we'll have to see. Um, you know, nobody really knows where this is going to go, but I, I thought this was a great question, Lee, and it, it is an interesting thought. And again, I'm an industrial engineer. Like, you know, that's, that's where my, my mind goes is like an optimization program or a, a problem of how do I allocate all of my money most effectively, especially in, in it, you especially run into this, I think with some of these programs that are more like middle tier within the power five is, you know, you don't have just like an endless pool of money to throw around. So you've got to yeah. be, you know, there's there's value there for whoever's smartest with how they allocate it left and right. You know, coaching staff and facilities and uh, support staff and now this nil thing that they can't officially like recognize or be a part of. Right. You, should, you should probably be like kind of sneaky involved in if you you know know what's good for you. Um, so it's th- th- there's a lot there, and it's um, I, I think a cool thing, honestly, Mike. And there's almost zero chances ever happens, but. Um, like getting an AD on to talk about some of this stuff or, or somebody in the administrative end of, of football to discuss kind of how, how this works and, you know, what are the things that they think about or that they, they consider. Um, I, I would be extraordinarily curious to know kind of where they come from and what they go through. Um, Cause I think there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of meat on this bone. Yeah. I agree. So uh, Mike, that's all I've got. That is all four of our listener questions that we had to cover now in an hour and 11 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say quick, tidy, 40-minute podcast. That's right. We, uh, just exactly as we drew it up. Yeah. Um, anything else before we work on getting out of here? No. 
Good answer. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to get out of here. Make this quick. We are getting out of here right now. Um, we are going to come back, and as mentioned, the next episode you hear will almost, unless something just completely catches fire, um, the next episode you hear will be another uh, Tell Us About Your Team episode. And um, we've got a couple of options. We've had uh, volunteers from a couple of different schools, so we look forward to reaching out and uh, setting that up. And hopefully that is as interesting as the UVA one was. Um, again, like shout out to Chris Grande. That was awesome. We got a lot of great feedback. Looking forward to uh, kind of continuing that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI. Together at BC Podcast ACC. Send us an email to the aforementioned longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Um, if yeah, again, if you're interested in joining for the uh, uh, tell us about your team series, send them there. Send them to the. Or if you would just want to join us, that's fine too. Yeah, I mean, we like it was a little over a year ago. We went to your uh, bachelor party and just had some some buddies join us. I mean, hey, what fire from the head, baby. <laughs> Always looking for volunteers. Um, send yeah, send it send it to the email address. Send it to our DMs. They're open on Twitter. You know, whatever. Hit us up. Um, Mike, they can find us on iTunes and Spotify, anywhere they can find us uh, on normal podcasts. You can go find us there as well. Uh, where else can they find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Instagram as well. We've done zero work on there, but go mm -hmm. check it out. Yep. Please do. Please do. Um, yeah. Tell us what our first Instagram post should be in like two months or like 12 months, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let us know. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? No. Cle uh, sorry, I've got one more thing. Clemson has a new uh, new AD, I believe. New deputy AD, something like that? Yeah. Kevin White. Not not the Duke one. Good luck. Good for them. Mike, we'll talk soon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. We will talk to you guys again soon. And until next time, as always... Go ACC.